Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson and welcome to the Functional Health Podcast. I interview some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine and I will share with you their stories, their expertise and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives to help improve your health from today. This week, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Tim Gray. Tim is labelled as the UK's leading biohacker and founder of the Health Optimization Summit. Today, we're discussing how to biohack your health and performance. So, without further ado, Tim, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so very welcome. It's so good to finally connect with you, man. I know it's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, it has been a bit. It's been a busy, busy year, or was the end of the quarter four anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, and just to jump in, I originally got interested in your work because you essentially seem to kind of hit a revelation with your own health, having burnt the candle at both ends and a little bit in the middle and embarked on a journey of healing, which has led to you to becoming what you presently identify as, which is a biohacker. Now, how did you get into this this space? Well, I just basically got ill um and uh the doctors couldn't help me and so i started studying after about a year of just being sent from person to person to person um i just started just being diagnostic and uh, applying business strategy to my own health basically and uh stumbled across biohacking four or five years later i'm 10 years in in the journey now uh, and being an entrepreneur stroke business builder uh, and scaler I kind of just did that with my own health and then created a meetup and then created the summit. And next thing you know, you're immersed in the industry. <laughs> what do you mean by, by taking a business approach to your own health? Um, well, biohacking is a mindset more than anything else. And it's about, um, um, how do I put it? Thinking in a systems thinking approach. Um, optimizing your body based on systems. So for instance, some of the most unreliable companies out there don't have system, systems, procedures, structure, um, proper organization or quality systems in place. Uh, they don't necessarily understand how to structure and scale a company properly. And the ones that do obviously flourish and grow the company to be huge. If you go into any big corporation that runs like a well-oiled machine, everything is procedure driven and um nothing's nothing's left to chance everything's you know strategic um all the way through down to operational level and now with most people in the health space um previously they try loads of different things um and different medicines different supplements and just try for guesswork they don't actually build out the strategy for their health looking at um looking at the whole overall picture and when you think about traditional medicine that's uh, reductionist medicine so they you know if you've got kidney stones you go and see a urologist if you've got brain fog or brain issues then you go and see a neurologist etc cetera, etc cetera. they don't look at the gut um, the gut to help with brain fog or the gut to help with kidney stones for instance so they're not thinking in a systems thinking approach whereas for me i always building companies i'd have a, a whole pack of post-it notes and i would map out all the issues and things stick them on the wall and then organize them into um detail all the way up to abstract uh, therefore building using the the data to build the strategy so that's exactly what i did with my health pack of post-it notes mapped out every symptom i had and all the data i did have map them out across the wall and um put them into uh, i guess like into an organizational chart 
until it fed back to an abstractor, an initial issue, which I then resolved or worked on. So it's really just thinking in the systems thinking approach. That's amazing. I've not really heard anyone speak of it in that way before. Um, it's probably good for the listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the term to understand what biohacking actually is and get your mm. perspective on that because I, mm. I understand yours is quite unique. Mm. Well, I, I follow the mindset of several of the the big names in health, Dave Asprey being the father of biohacking, uh, who invented the term biohacking officially. And he his definition is to optimize the environment inside of you and outside of you to take control of your own biology. And that's for optimal health or performance. Now, um, mine is very similar to that because it came from him originally, but I like to say using health um, technology and nature and you know all the different modalities to be able to optimize your health and performance. And that does obviously involve optimizing the in environment around you and inside of you. So inside of you would be your biology, gut, liver, all these different things, and outside of you would be your home environment or mm -hmm. whatnot. So they, they all really do play a massive part. Um, I think where the biggest issue is, is that the media tend to think biohacking is gene editing or whatnot, uh, transhumanism, which is chip in plants. It's not. <laughs> biohacking in its true sense is optimizing your health and performance, taking control of your own biology, opposed to just listening to a doctor that, you know, um, doesn't necessarily have empathy or doesn't understand the full picture of health because he only prescribes medicine opposed to, you know, prescribing nature. Yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it because I think many people can identify with some of the health interventions that you and I have probably used in our life, which would be, for example, intermittent fasting or optimizing sleep, for example, yep. um, which could maybe even be considered as a pillar of health and intermittent fasting could be considered a diet. Um, mm -hmm. But as soon as you start tracking these and improving them for maybe optimized hormonal function or insulin sensitivity, it's then qualified mm -hmm. as a biohack. Mm -hmm. I suppose, like we, like you said before, we're doing it for a, a specific purpose. Well, a yogi or someone that does yoga or whatnot doesn't consider themselves a biohacker necessarily, mm -hmm. but a biohacker would use yoga if they needed to. And right. again, it comes back to the systems thinking approach. Like someone said to me the other week, well, that's not biohacking, you know, getting your shoes off and standing in the garden, is it? <laughs> like, well, it's not, it's not biohacking you know, on its, by itself isolated, but when you're a biohacker and you say, well, actually, I need to reduce inflammation, um, help reset my circadian rhythm, uh, balance my cortisol levels to be you know, where they should be through the day um, and whatnot, then grounding is a biohack. Um, in the mindset, again, going back to the systems thinking approach. Right. So it's almost like finding and utilizing or having multiple different tools in the toolkit in case any of these issues arise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's unbiased uh, approach. I, if you go to a doctor, he's going to prescribe you medicine most of the time. They might recommend um, acupuncture sometimes now, for instance, but they are biased to the medical mindset and medicine. If you go to a um, Naturopath, obviously, would be a more natural approach. If you go to um, a chiropractor, it will be about your um, <laughs> phys uh, your physical structure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like if you go to a butcher's, he's going to sell you meat. He's not going to try and sell you broccoli. If you go to a, a greengrocer's, you know you can buy the broccoli. He's not going to try and sell you meat. If everyone has their own bias, and biohacking generally goes, what can I use? 
with the goal focus of optimizing my health, you know, whether it be yoga, whether it be Tai Chi, whether or not it be, um, you know, um, IV, whether it be stem cells, whether it be any of the free stuff or the expensive stuff, it's like, what can I use to get to my goal? That's it. Nothing else. Right. Perfect. And I guess it's like the, it's key because um, one of the things that I had written down to ask you is like what biohacking isn't. And you kind of just, you've outlined that quite well in terms of it's not all this technology. You don't have to use it. You can use, for example, one thing which I was thinking of just prior to this call is like I use an aura ring to track my sleep and try and maximize how much sleep I get and track oh. it over time and see what benefits me. But equally, someone could do that, maybe not with the same efficacy, but with a sleep mm. diary. Mm. Would, would you think that's fair enough to say in terms of like a low level, low tech biohack? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, again, the things like the aura, it makes it very accessible for people to be able to track these things on an ongoing basis without putting too much energy or thought into it. You know, I know that if I wear blue blocking glasses three hours before bed, my deep sleep and REM sleep is significantly better. Um, my heart rate comes down. You know, you've just got one application to look in for that. Apple Health has tried to do that by bringing everything into one central place, but it doesn't really hit the mark. Um, and, you know, for many years, I used a spreadsheet tracking 35 plus variables every day to see how my health progressed, but it's nowhere near as good an interface as the Aura Health app for the ring. And, um, you know, it's just one very easy integrated thing into your life without putting any energy into it, without having all the value. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the, for the convenience side, and um, that's one of the reasons why I got it. You don't really have to put any en energy into it at all. You can just check the app, see whether what, whatever intervention you've used before bed has worked over time, mm -hmm. and if it mm -hmm. hasn't. And um, now we're on the topic of sleep. We may, we may as well stay on this because um, there's so many podcasts out there, including Professor Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. Um, and he outlines like a few different interventions and then the importance of sleep and blue mm. light blockers is something which I've just started using, but I'm not sure many people know what they are or why should they use them. So maybe we should outline that to begin with. Yeah. Um, it's very simple. Light, um, does different things to us and is essentially energy. Now we can have good energy and we can have bad energy. We can have good light. We can have bad light. We call it junk light. Um, so for instance, blue light is very stimulating to us. It stops us secreting melatonin, our sleep hormone. And in nature, blue light is never found on its own. It's only ever included within, you know, more of a full spectrum, um, light. So when we're using devices that have just blue light, we aren't evolutionarily wired to know how to deal with that. So the blue light on its own, our bodies think it's sunrise because it's very blue, um, which stops us producing melatonin, or should I say excreting melatonin, which keeps us from going to sleep properly or sleeping properly at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it's causing a real issue with sleep. And with biohacking, it's using technology to mimic a natural environment in an unnatural world. So if you're Love using that. technology with blue light, using technology, blue blocking glasses, to block the blue light from going into your eyes, um, which stops you from stopping you secreting your melatonin, means that you your sleep increases significantly. And you know, actually, it's becoming more mainstream with the traditional doctors now even offering melatonin to their clients instead of sleeping drugs, because melatonin being the sleep hormone, as well as many other things like an amazing antioxidant. Um, 
yeah, so having better levels of melatonin um, works and blue blocking glasses mean that we secrete it naturally. So that's just a classic example of one of, you know, actually the, if there was one biohack I did, it would be blue blocking glasses. You know, if, it, if I had to drop everything tomorrow, it would be that one thing. So that's just understanding, optimizing our environment um, that can really help optimizing the environment inside of us, which gives us better sleep. Yeah, 100%. And, and one thing which I've realized as well with using the blue light blockers, and I've also got um, like a, a setting on my phone which basically knocks out all the blue light. To, uh, like, um... yeah, it's, rub it's rubbish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that will, that will reduce your exposure to blue a little bit, but it mainly just dims it. It's not actually that great. Yeah, um... it's not, not the night shift. It's something mm. else um, where mm. I, I to basically tap the on and off button three times and it goes completely mm. red. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, the thing is, you're still subjected to environmental um, blue light. So if you're walking around the house with the lights on, mm -hmm. then, you know, you'll still be getting blue light in your eyes. You just won't be having the main source of it. And it, you only have to sit in the room with a red light stack for a few minutes for your eyes to get used to the red light. And then when you turn it off, you realize how much blue light there is everywhere. Um, or when you have your blue blocking glasses on for half an hour, you take them off and you go, oh, crap, I can't believe yeah. how, how blue the light is. You know, we didn't evolve with that. We only evolved with campfire after sunset, which is more red, less blue. Um, so, you know, as I say, it really does screw with us, really throws so many things out of whack and um, many hormones, actually. Yeah, you're so right. And and just like from anecdotally, like I remember wearing my blue light blockers and my partner was texting next to me and then I took them off and I never knew that the light was that blue before. You just mm -hmm. assume like it's a bright white light, but as soon as you've gone from red to back to normal, it's uh, it's very obvious. Yeah, um, yep. that, 100%. That's, that's something which um, I find hugely beneficial, which has dramatically affected my sleep because a lot of people say don't look at screens two hours before bedtime, which I try not to do, but it's not always possible. Sometimes I'm sending the last email just before I get to sleep. Um, oh, I know, I know, I know no, it's not good. don't do it. Don't <laughs> do it. Give, it. give yourself an hour to wind down. Otherwise, your adrenaline will be up and your sleep will be worse as a result. It's really important that you don't just respect the light, that you respect your, the rest of your physiology as well. And, um, yeah, your brain will still be switched on or your, your body will be switching off, which means that a lot of your um, unconscious processes or autom autonomic responses won't be as good as they should be. So, for instance, your, your heart rate variability won't be as high as it should be if you're working up until the moment you jump into bed. Whereas if you give yourself an hour, and it will show you how addicted to your device you are if you can't put your phone down for an hour before bed. It really will. Um, you know, if you're, even if you're watching Netflix, you know, half an hour before bed is probably pretty much the, the maximum, the minimum that you'd want to do. Okay. So yeah, so you'll, yeah, you'll, you'll see a big change in your sleep. If you, if you, <laughs> if you knock that on the head. I'm going to have to, I think, I think it's just a case of me like probably just getting back into my meditation before bed or mindfulness to, to clear my mind. Otherwise I'm a little bit like racing thoughts. Mm, for 10 yeah, minutes yeah. which yeah. you know it's just it's bad it's bad practice i always tell people to you know like calm down before bed have a good bedtime routine and i seem to slipped into it i think it's this lockdown just mm. uh, in it back into bad habits again
but mm. yeah, yeah, not not yeah. perfect one hundred percent of the time. But <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I can say the same thing about you, Tim. You seem pretty on the ball all the time at this moment. Yeah, um, no, I do my best. It's about uh, yeah, mainly around processes and structure and routine that helps you keep on track with things. But no one's perfect. I mean. Yeah, if I, if I only read for 20 minutes in the morning and says half an hour, I feel like I failed my day, which is quite bad, which becomes stressful. So you have to let go of it to some extent and still just go, hey, what the hell, I'm living. But at the same time, having some routine and structure keeps you on track, which is where you get the compounded um, cumulative oh. wins, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. Now, just to re rewind back a li little bit, you, um, you spoke about HRV. And it's something which I've not really spoken about on the podcast before in, in great depth. Um, could you explain that and how you use it to, I guess, well, what's, what's the benefit of tracking it, really? Um, yeah, I, heart rate variability is one of the best indicators for overall health, um, in, in, in my opinion. And essentially, um, it's the time interval between heartbeats mm -hmm. at which tells you how rested your heart is it's not as different to your heart rate uh so for instance your heart rate would be how many beats per minute there is um it has um the lower the better within obviously reason um which can be anywhere from roughly 40 up to 80 beats a minute as standard i find that if i've had a pumped up day or if i'm working to the last minute before i get into bed it would be nearer average 72 lower 65 um if i have an hour before bed with no devices and I wear my blue blockers for three hours before bed, um, then my resting heart rate will come down by 10 to 15 beats a minute. Um, and that's partly down to adrenaline. Um, and there are ways of combating that with various uh, supplements like licorice root, but, uh, or trimethylglycine for me. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, and um, heart rate variability, generally if you drink alcohol, you'll see it be very low. It'd be like an average of 10 to 15, which is horrendous average around 50 to 150 seems to be very normal. And the more optimized and healthy you are, the higher the average is. Um, so yeah, I, I know that if I drink alcohol, my average is 10 to 15 uh, heart rate variability average, which is just horrendous. My friend Sim has well over 110, 120 average, I think, which is quite normal, which is higher than my maximum. Right. So what does that say about your health if that's higher than your maximum? Well, it's the interesting thing here. Is <laughs> he, he's, he's 15 years younger than me, number right. one. Okay. He, he lives in Estonia on a little island. Um, he, he writes all day. He doesn't have quite the stimulus that I do. Um, uh, obviously, so there's the age aspect. And there, I have had chronic health issues. He's not in biohacking for his chronic health issues, whereas I, I am or have been. Um, mm -hmm. so, so that's that. And you know, looking at my heart rate variability and optimizing it is a good indicator for me of how well I'm doing. So when I was traveling this last year through COVID, I actually traveled around Europe for 20 weeks during the year while everyone was locked down. Um, and I was in Croatia for, I think it was 10 weeks or something like that. And... Um, I, when I was, I was living on by a beach um, in a cabin, which is lovely, and yeah. my heart rate variability was, you know, higher with a, uh, an average than my max was before, showing that, you know, swimming in the sea, getting mineral-rich water, being relaxed without having work or anything going on, it really did make a big difference for me. Um, so, yeah, and I also noticed that 
if I have hot, um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy before bed, because I've got a, uh, one at home, and if I have magnesium IV before I go to bed as well, not only am I um, my sleep the best, my heart has to work a lot less because I'm oxygenated. The heart doesn't have to work so hard pumping oxygen around the body at such a rate. And um, I sleep deeper and also my heart rate variability shoots up like crazy and my resting heart rate comes down. So there are, you know, interventions and things you can do to optimize that. But really it's about homeostasis and trying to get to that point without all of these devices and interventions. Yeah, absolutely. And just jumping into supplements, and I'll just put a little caveat here that we're not recommending anyone take any supplements without speaking to their GP first because they have contraindications with medications in certain conditions. But we're going to talk about them now. So like I take magnesium glycinate, for example, before sleep, and I think it's perfect in terms of getting me to, to bed and to relax my muscles, etc. Um, but you said you take it in intravenously. Uh, what's, mm. What are you using? Um, I have magnesium sulfate. Ah, okay. I have it. I have it. I have it. Um, IV two to three times a week. Um, typically low in magnesium. Right. Anyway, uh, because of my previous gut issues and antibiotics were too long, meant that I wasn't getting it from my food properly, and also various other um, health issues in the past. So I like IV magnesium sulfate hits the mark for me you know when you do it you can feel yourself relax very quickly i don't obviously recommend people doing it from home at all go and see a, an iv clinic for it mm -hmm. i use harple clinic uh, down in st paul's in london um or i do it when i have a health practitioner here with me or when i'm in various places around the world with different specialists because uh, obviously it's my industry so i'm very lucky to have some amazing colleagues <laughs> yeah but uh, but um yeah magnesium is a good one for some people actually it can have the opposite effect before bed though it can actually be stimulating and it actually ruin their sleep so um it's important to test removing it it's actually one of my team um when she first started with me she said oh yeah my my REM sleep is horrendous i can't seem to ever get it off the ground i don't know why I asked her what her routine was like and what supplements she took and things like that. And um, yeah, she said, oh, magnesium before bed and it still doesn't work. And I was like, okay, we'll drop that for a few nights and let's just see what happens. And, you know, it, it improved. That was the one thing that she needed to do to improve her REM sleep um, was remove the magnesium that she had been told by a practitioner that would do so well. In fact, it had the opposite effect. <laughs> that, that, so. Well, that is very interesting. I wonder what the source was, because I know you can get different sources. For example, citrate, which is well-absorbed, mm. but also can contribute well to part of the citric acid cycle and mm. um, Krebs cycle, sorry. So, yeah, um, I'm just I interested. Mean, yeah, I like, I like citrate um, because it, it helps bond, um, bind to oxalates if you, if you need to be on a low oxalate diet or something or other that's very good um but they all have their different absorption rates some magnesium only has a five percent absorption rate like yeah, magnesium oxide, oxide. Yeah. yeah um citrate is greater than that but there are some mixed minerals now uh, mixed magnesium like bio optimizers do one that has three or four variants in it um but you still reliant on the gut so uh, that's why i like iv uh, it's much more chance of getting into the cell it's still not guaranteed once it's in the blood but it's you know it's at least it gets into the blood opposed to you just pooping it out so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah granted that's not available to everyone but um that's that's incredibly interesting i think you've just given me a whole load of uh, work to do myself i'm reading up on that 
Um, <laughs> but there we go. Anyway, it's something which I'm, I've used recently, and I'm not sure, because I know you use different waves of light, like red light therapy and things like that. But I've started using like a an, an alarm clock, which basically wait half an hour before um, oh. it imitates a sunrise. It's called like a Lumi lamp. Yeah, no affiliation, yeah, but... Yeah, yeah, I know Lumi well. Uh, they exhibited at my summit last year, um, and I, I've liked them for many years, actually. They, um, I mean, yeah, it works on seasonal affective disorder, essentially, but it's still blue light that um, is stimulating, so it stops you pre- uh, secreting your melatonin, and that's mm-hmm. what it does. But, I mean, it's much better to wake with sunrise, naturally. And um, But the thing is, if you're going to bed at, say, for instance, midnight or one o'clock, um, you don't want sunrise to wake you because it will shorten your sleeping, your natural sleeping cycle. So if you slept at, you know, a couple of hours after sunset, let's just say 9pm, you'd have roughly seven to eight hours, depending on what your body needs to recover each day. Um, So that would take you through to say five, six o'clock, let's say Mm -hmm. 6am. Now, if you're, so you should wake at 6 a.m. if uh, with sunrise if you sleep at nine but if you go to bed at one in the morning which is four hours later and you get woken with sunrise your body's not getting what it needs to so it's a very very quick way of aging rapidly uh, you know you reduce your sleep you age quicker it's very very basic because we sleep to reverse the damage that we've done to our body during the day using the energy that we've collected through the day. Now, if we're sleeping, which is switching off, but we're not having enough time to repair, then we're never going to recover and we're going to age quicker. That's just fact. So um, that's why if you do have a Lumi light, for instance, you need to make sure it's timed based on how much sleep you actually need and not just, you know, um, waking you up because you say you have to get up at six o'clock or 6.30 every day because that would Mm -hmm. just shorten your window and your age quicker. So that's why I like to... Um, like work out when sunset is and then work out how much sleep I need like extra sleep as a result so if sunset is at six and I go to bed at nine that's three hours so I need to wait three hours after sunrise basically which is so you're mimicking nature mimicking sunset and sunrise in your own time otherwise you're just going to sleep too little so I, I'm a fan of Lumi big time, especially around seasonal affective disorder and using blue light to um, help balance hormones and, and pick up mood and whatnot. Um, for the alarm clock, I'm just not a fan of alarm clocks at all. You should wake up naturally when your body needs to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still not waking up naturally, so that's probably something I need to work on. But Lumi has definitely helped me in terms mm. of I wake up as the light's coming on, if you know what I mean. Mm. So mm. I guess I wake up naturally now, but it's due to the light. So mm. it's probably yeah. more natural than the sound. I definitely don't wake up stark awake, um, mm. you know, like suddenly. Um, mm. So yeah, I think it's definitely, oh, if, if it's not optimized, I think it's probably just a, it's definitely a benefit. Or oh, how, how, am I, how am I, should I articulate this? It's better than the alternative, which is just waking up to a loud noise. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's best to wake up naturally. I wake up naturally every single day, unless I've got a flight. At, you know, actually, I don't take flights early in the morning now. I just have it <laughs> timed correctly. But um, but yeah, I I wake up naturally every single day with what I need. Um, I do use blackout blinds and I um, and whatnot. So my room is almost pitch black, so that way I do get the right amount of sleep. But 
I, I, I'm adverse to alarm clocks. I think you should, the sleep should be respected more than anything else. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's number one. Not enough people rate it. Or should I say? I mean, Matt, Matt Walker's book. Um, it's a good book. I mean, it made sleep optimization more mainstream. Mm -hmm. uh, I really, I really like it in many ways. I think it, it, it has a few things I don't quite agree with, but that's, that's fine to not agree on everything. Um, but he was saying one thing he does say, and he wears an aura, I think is that, um, the aura ring is around 70% accurate uh, and he compared to the lab testing sleep tracking devices. But if you're sleeping in a lab, you're sleeping in a lab, it's not your natural environment. So therefore you're not going to sleep as good as you should. So the baseline of hundred percent based on their lab equipment, isn't necessarily hundred percent, you know, is it, is that running at 70% because you're sleeping in the lab and is aura actually more accurate? Who knows? But um, that's why I think aura is so good because it's just so easy integrated and tracked so, so effectively. And I've tested it against other devices as well. So. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I, I guess for, for me, I don't necessarily take, take the reading day on day and more track trends because if mm. i'm using an intervention like the blue light blockers i'm using them for over a week probably two weeks and then looking at what the trend is like over the previous two weeks mm -hmm. um obviously looking at you know whether there was you know something like a friend's birthday and it was late night and then i try and not include that um anyway there, i've got a bunch of things i want to want to ask you and i realize we're already already been recording for near enough half an hour so i'm going to jump on to something else which is uh, nutrigenomics um so essentially there are a bunch of different um testing kits out there in terms of, like dna testing um and microbiome testing etc i was wondering what you thought of them from your perspective because i understand you're very well read up in this area and whether they hold an, any merit from your point of view data it's data to optimize from um if you if you're subjective of on things it's about intuition intuition is great it'll get us so far but the data will get us so much further that's why they say now data is the new oil in terms of investments of the biggest companies with the most data look at facebook for instance mm -hmm. the more data we have the more we can do to optimize and um think when you put that to blood tests yeah sure there is uh, how accurate is it and uh, do they actually find the right things well if you look at microbiome tests for instance one day to the next they can be vastly different because yeah. different foods that you eat will feed different bacteria so different ones will flourish on a day-to-day -day basis but they do actually give you a pretty good indication of trend um, of what you are actually deficient in because you you know i've done 10 or 15 of them over my time and they all paint a very similar picture except for the odd one so if you add them all together and divide them apart then it still gives you a really good trend um, which is something to optimize from but without that i couldn't say well actually i need you know this bacteria this specific bacteria for my gut let's optimize it i would just be necking kombucha which is a fancy trend um, which isn't necessarily giving me what I need. It might be, you know, putting too much fuel in my car or, you know, topping up the oil when I need water. Um, for instance, <laughs> you know, you, you want to be selective about what you put in because you can actually cause more problems by optimizing with the wrong bacteria, for instance. Okay. Um, but um, there are tests like the hair mineral analysis tests, which are very good. They're indicative because they show you deficiencies and excesses that you, you, you might have. But there again, if you've got something like mercury toxicity because you've had metal filling or eating too much crappy tuna for years then you're not going to excrete certain minerals or whatnot in your hair therefore your hair mineral analysis test will be incorrect but it still does give you a good indication 
um, opposed to subjective guesswork as to what you should optimize and can base assumptions on it. So I'm a big fan of blood tests, obviously, and microbiome tests and genetic tests and all of these things. And it's really interesting to see uh, trends across different platforms and how they overlap. Uh, for instance, if I have a, um, a mercury or heavy metals test done on urine and mm -hmm. one on blood, um, then, you know, looking at the two, looking at the two differences and one saying I'm excreting a lot and one saying that I've got low levels, it could be that my body is just clearing a lot. Um, so again, it can give you better assumptions, you can base better assumptions on it opposed to just guessing, oh no, I haven't got mercury poisoning because I've never had tuna and never had metal fillings. You know, I'd be surprised how many people actually do have really high levels without even realizing it. And when they test, you can see that and then you could collate the mercury out of them or work with a practitioner obviously to do so, then their health improves, their white blood cell count comes up to a better level um, and um, they just start feeling much better energy and mental clarity. So without a decent test, you couldn't do that. Yeah, that, yeah, that's fascinating. When you mentioned overlap as well, I, th I think that's probably key for me. So I've tried a few of these different tests, and I, I kind of look at which ones are which ones are overlapping, which ones are saying the same thing, and which ones are a stark difference. And like you said, most of them say a paint a relatively similar picture, and you can mm. kind of, as you said, modify them. And I think it does take some of the guesswork out. I think it's still very much in its infancy, especially when it, we talk about genetic testing, because normally it doesn't take into account account well there's certain ones which you can buy um on the market without a practitioner it doesn't take into account epigenetic markers or anything like that which are even more hard to quantify um mm. but again you know like you said it, it takes it's probably a better baseline than some of the some of the guesswork that people have right now and 100 yeah. yeah yeah i mean what what are the ones which you commonly use and would recommend mm. Good question. Uh, I like, there's a, a hormone test called, called the Dutch test, D-U-T-C-H, um, which is from urine and it looks at your hormones. Um, very, very good test actually. I did an Instagram post on it a few months ago um, explaining what it looks for and why. Um, that's, that looks at yeah, your, your hormone panel, uh, looks at the different times of the day to see you know, what your cortisol levels are like, what your testosterone is like at different times of the day and things like that. So it gives you a really good picture. A lot of people that have had chronic fatigue or fatigue issues or, you know, aren't full of energy all the time, it's often very, very valuable to do that test. So that's that. Um, okay. If you've got gut issues, there's one called uh, the GIFX Comprehensive Stool Test, which is... Uh, paints a really good picture of your overall gut health looks at inflammation markers looks at the bacteria looks at any bad things that are going on and that can be bought through omnos uh, o-m-n-o-s uh, website as well as the dutch test as well then you know you've got one called the organic acids test which i really like that looks at different bacteria yeast markers in the urine so you can tell you if you've got candida or an imbalance or a leaky gut or whatnot um, also, if you've got oxalate issues or things like that, which is great. Uh, so that's another one of my favorites. I've done that multiple times. Um, there's obviously the standard genetics test, which can get you to look at your genes uh, to see if you've got any specific variations for detoxification issues and whatnot. So you can then um, supplement the right supplement to um, get those genes uh, turning on and off better. Um, yeah. And then there's one, my very favorite of all, I think is called the Nutra Aval test by Genova Labs. 
that looks at the it's called it's a metabolomics test it looks at um you on a cellular level looks at what's in the cell what's um should be coming out of the cell so that you can optimize um your cellular health properly oh i really i really do love that one actually <laughs> <laughs> so there's a good few there that you use um I'm just trying to unpick that. Some of the GI ones I find absolutely fascinating, um, but mm. I understand that they don't pick up some of the... So, for example, some people can have candida, but it won't mm. pick it up because it obviously it's col it'll form colonies within the colon, so you might not get it on one mm. pass, on one fecal mm. pass, for example. Um, mm. But then if you're picking it up in urine as well, then that's that's extremely interesting. Mm. And you mentioned yeah. oxalates. For, for listeners that don't know, oxalates are found in... The, a bunch of different foods including leafy greens for example very high in leafy greens mm -hmm. and some people can have a different difficulty excreting them and like you mentioned before tim it can lead to things like kidney stones for example mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. or, or certainly one type of them and the organic acids test that has came up before Marek doyle actually said the same thing in terms of what's what's incredibly useful um mm -hmm. at, at certainly predicting what's going on in the human body in relation to gut health and we've mm -hmm. talked about got hyperpermeability on the podcast before. People can go, mm -hmm. go look at um, the podcast with Ben Brown as well for more information with that. And then mm -hmm. the genes, just to round everything all off that you said, like oh, something which is really common is like a, um, a SNP in the MTHFR gene, mm -hmm. um, which can cause like numerous different problems, but including like people can't properly convert folic acid into methyl, uh, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to completely get this wrong now. Tetrahydrofolate, 5-methyl mm -hmm. tetrahydrofolate. There you yeah, go. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, eventually. I've not said that in ages. Um, so, yeah, and, and that can be a real problem for people. Have you, have you experienced anything like that before in terms of the methylation cycle? <laughs> yeah, it's a big, part of, um, a big part of the genetic testing for me. Actually, one of my favorite, favorite things to optimize. It's more, more commonly known nowadays when I first got into it not many people had really discussed it there wasn't really much on forums or anything either um actually Marek's a good friend of mine i actually work with Marek um as a one of my sounding board stroke opinions on things that i work on so i have a, a team of about four or five people i work with <laughs> um Marek doyle is one of them um uh, dr scott share is another one he's um He's a big name in hyperbaric oxygen therapy from the States. He's a very dear friend of mine. Dr. Dominic Nitschwitz, who's the biological dentist. Oh, Ryan yeah. Carter, who's Levite. Um, and uh, Dr. Harple over at Harple Clinic as well. Those are basically my um, <laughs> my, my team, should I say, uh, <laughs> for, for my health and sounding board. So I don't do anything without you know a chat group um, between us all. Um, MTHFR came up with Marek many years ago, probably five or six years ago, I think, um, originally. And I do have the SNP, which means that I detox for around 40% less than I should do. Um, and optimizing my B12, which is why I actually did a subcutaneous um, B12 shot just at the beginning of this podcast when we were preparing, um, because I like to optimize my B12. I it was take... a unique way to start a podcast, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> my schedule is running behind and I have to tick these things off in order, otherwise my day falls back. But um, yeah, and then I'll optimize uh, methylfolate, um, B12, and trimethylglycine, which is probably my favorite supplement um, 
one of my favorite top three supplements of all time. So if you've got the MTHFR gene, then trimethylglycine often works very, very well for energy production. And if you take it before sleep, you find that it really does help your deep sleep and uh, heart rate variability as well. So it's really good. That's really good to know. Why, why do you think it does both in terms of wake you up and also help you sleep? Um, my uh, well not wake you up but more about energy production so if you think about um your methylation process and energy production for instance think of you having a swimming pool full of water okay and that pool of water is your energy stores now think about um emptying that swimming pool with a straw having a straw and it's just constantly just peeing out slowly that's your energy utilization now if you take trimethylglycine and you're an undermethylator, um, you've got one of those the SNPs, then taking trimethylglycine will open that straw up to be more like a hose pipe. Aye. So it just helps you utilize the energy that you've already got that isn't um, flowing properly. So a lot of the people just suddenly wake up with it and go, my God, I feel like I did before I got ill or, you know, I don't consider energy to be a thing anymore because, you know, when people have got, when people are normal, they don't go, Oh, I've got good energy today. They just, they just are. Whereas people that have had fatigue or tired will go, you know, Oh, I've got good energy today. So, you know, if you don't know it as a concept, trimethylglycine won't do anything for you because you probably haven't got an energy problem. Whereas if you are fatigued or have had, um, you know, um, lethargy quite a lot then trimethylglycine will help with that so that's that's on the the energy side on the sleeping side um it uh glycine is known to be good for sleep and has many processes in the body trimethyl um it's got three methyl groups on there which helps the whole methylation cycle so it gives the body what it needs to be able to come out of fight or flight mode in my opinion which then obviously helps heart rate um, reduce and heart rate variability going up so therefore the body's just in a more rested state because it's able to deal with a lot of the chemical processes that it's supposed to do that's my my belief and actually I discussed this with Marek at length on a call um, recently and um, we're both in the same place with it so it's great yeah that is I'm definitely gonna have to dive into that more probably you probably highlighted the fact that I need to do a podcast on MTHFR just for people that are not familiar with it, because it's more common than people think. I think it's 30% of the population have got some form of uh, SNP, which causes... Yeah, 40% apparently. 40? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember it being around that number. And Marek mm-hmm. is uh, such an intelligent individual. I, I believe he, he, he spoke <laughs> about you when I... Uh, when I um when I called him off the podcast, to be fair. but uh, yeah, really, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, funny, Bro- bromance. Um, yeah, I, th- yeah, I think he's because he, he spoke at the health optimization summit. So when I was talking mm-hmm. about that, your name came up, um, mm, because yeah. obviously it was obvious that you knew each other anyway. Um, mm. but yeah, <laughs> very intelligent, <laughs> very intelligent individual. But yeah, definitely a bromance. I yeah, he's um yeah he's far down the rabbit hole in all the metabolic processes um, and pathways, whereas I'm more of a curator of other people's content and um, talk slightly higher level than the details so that it's more accessible to people. Um, and yeah, just get people to think in, you know, think about these connections opposed to the actual specific pathways of everything. This is just where I sit in terms of my abstract to detail level. America is far much yeah, much more detailed and smarter than me. <laughs> Differently smart. <laughs> yeah, I know there's different forms of intelligence, aren't there? And I think yeah. the, the fact that you're utilizing all these different people as tools, as a biohacker, I think, mm. you know, shows that 
you are doing exactly what you preach. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Something which I wanted to speak to you about also, and we were talking about sleep before, which I imagine ties quite, uh, quite well into this, is productivity and biohacking. Now, I, a recent, uh, I earlier on, probably whilst I was a student, got really interested in the topic of nootropics and also ketosis for productivity mm -hmm. and co cognitive function. Now, I actually found that going into ketosis was hugely beneficial for me um, mm. for productivity and cognitive function, even though I don't really have any identifiable health cognitive issues or brain mm. issues, which mm. I found quite interesting. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for everyone. Um, I certainly did. I, I thought it was like the only way forward ages ago. And I now think intermittent use of ketosis can be quite beneficial. But again, you know, it depends on your own personal health circumstances. Um, have you found the same or what do you use to kind of help with productivity and maybe we should we should rewind back a little bit and just not start with supplements and maybe just in general strategizing your day oh god um <laughs> have i opened a whole can of worms here should we start with supplements <laughs> well um well i don't know where to start with that oh okay um, i mean first of all up. first of all let's do, let's just go with the ketosis first of all yeah. um so first of all ketosis is great as an intervention for short-term use um, or on a cyclical basis. Um, mm -hmm. So I did hardcore keto for 12 months, absolutely rock solid keto for 12 months. Um, I hardly came out of ketosis actually, and it was very taxing on the body and on the digestive system. It took my liver a long time to recover from being so stressed because it had to produce so much more bile to be able to, to um to disperse the fats that I was eating. Yeah. So it's really put a heavy strain on the liver actually. And that's one area of ketosis that people don't generally talk about. But I was at, right at the forefront of it with many of these guys um, and taking exogenous ketones to boost my levels up and blah, 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 blah. Um, now that was good because with my organic acids test, it showed I had high levels of systemic yeast from overuse of antibacteria, uh, antibiotics from years ago, which, you know, natural antifungals and things like that didn't seem to resolve. But after doing a year of ketosis, they all went. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I starved out all the rubbish, basically, um, then had to rebuild my gut and liver back up from that point. So it was good as an experiment, and it's, it's a fun story to talk about. Um, but what it made me realize is that it's not sustainable forever. And when I finally clicked into place about um, how we evolved and how our ancestors were, and you know, when you say paleo diet or paleo mindset, you know, people often switch off now, unfortunately, because they just think, well, we're not cavemen. And you know, the paleo movement, or should I say the paleo um, companies that make paleo cookies and things like that, they're not paleo at all. And um, all it means is they're cleaner, but really ancestral health or and what we uh, evolved with um, is where we should find ourselves getting nearer to. So why is ketosis good? Well, ketosis is a fasted state. When you're exercising, you burn fat for energy and that energy is significantly better than getting it from sugary foods. It's not so easy to access as sugary foods, obviously, um, but um, it's essentially so we can eat food, store it as energy if we don't have access to food and then burn it so that we don't starve and we don't run out of energy. Okay, so that's the very, very basic rule of it. So mm -hmm. if you're a caveman, you wake up in the morning, 
you might have a little bit of fermented food in the cave because you didn't have a fridge. So it fermented, so it's got natural, natural bacteria in it. Mm -hmm. um, you would then go off and probably kill, run after an animal and kill it or climb some trees and grab some fruit or whatever. You would be in a fasted state pretty much. The only thing you'd have access to easily would probably be stream water, which would be high in minerals, um, which actually helps you with fat burning significantly when you're hydrated. Um, so the, you would then go away, kill the animal. The only food that you'd have is what you could carry with you. And then you'd take your food back to the cave to feed to the wife and the kids who would then eat as much as they needed to and store the rest in the cave to ferment overnight, maybe have some for dinner as well. Now, what does that say? It says that we wake in the morning, we're fasted. We then break fast with whatever we can kill or pick. We then eat probably lunch and afternoon tea by a campfire. Um, and then we wouldn't eat after that all the way through until the next time we killed something or caught it the next day. Some days we would fast completely because we couldn't catch anything and all the fruit would be eaten. We'd have to travel further to get it, i.e. more exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and other days we'd have an abundance because we would have killed an animal and we would be able to eat it for three days until it started going off. So some days would be fasted, some days wouldn't, some days would be intermittent fasted where you'd eat in a certain time, blah, 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 blah. So that's how we evolved. And that gives us gut diversity. Um, we'd also eat seasonally. We'd only be able to eat what was near us at that time of year. We wouldn't be able to eat bananas or pineapples around the clock, which our guts just don't know how to deal with. Um, which is why people get allergies to a lot of food, partly because their gut is damaged, but partly because they're subjecting their body to the same food all year round. So we build up intolerances to it. Whereas when you rotate seasonally, that doesn't happen so much because you don't build up the intolerance to it. So really when you think about fasting, it is amazing when you're in the gym, you're exercising, you're burning fat, and your brain comes alive because um, ketone energy is just amazing. Um, it makes you feel like you can take on the world, but it's not for forever. <laughs> yeah. So, that, so that's, that's a really good nootropic as a result, and your mental clarity does go through the roof. But doing it cyclical, i.e. eating in a window, so I wake at, say, 7.30 every day, maybe a little bit before. I have my binders um, to assist with my detoxification naturally. And then um, when I come down and have my bulletproof coffee after my mineral rich hydration, um, I would break fast with a bulletproof coffee, which would have MCT oil in it, butter, and actually some collagen as well. So I start feed, feeding, breaking my fast at 8am, but I would finish eating at 6 to 6.30pm latest. Right. So, yeah. so therefore you can see that I have, you know, kind of like a 15 hour window of not eating every day, mm -hmm. every day. Um, ultimately and that means that i'm in and out of ketosis on a daily basis it also means that my organs aren't running at full speed when i'm sleeping meaning that i'm not trying to get energy from my food while i'm sleeping i'm using the energy that i've collected during the day to help my sleep which you know also works very very well so all of these tiny little tweaks add up to being massive wins uh, compounded interest style i guess um, <laughs> by all these micro decisions add up to be a maximum output um, in terms of optimization. So that helps mental clarity because people with the worst brain fog generally have the worst gut. They're processing lots of sugar. They're spiking their blood glucose throughout the day a lot, blah, 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 blah. So they need to take lots of nootropics. But when you nail that right, you don't need a lot of nootropics. And then when you do want nootropics, and I stack multiple ones. So for instance, I like methylene blue, um, which is... Um, Not readily available here, that one. 
yeah it is yeah it is um <laughs> I, yeah, um, um, I won't say the sources, but yeah, I mean it's not illegal or anything, so it's fine. But methylene blue, make sure it's um, you know pharmaceutical quality. There is a brand called Troscriptions that I love that you can buy from uh, FunctionalSelf.co.uk oh, okay. um, and Pure Health Supplements as well. But yeah, methylene blue I like. I like anaracetam, uh, anaracetam, phenylparacetam, oxyracetam, all these things, um, part of the racetam group. They basically mean that you use choline your brain uses choline better choline's known as a nootropic natural nootropic anaracetam helps your body use that at a better rate which means that gives you good mental clarity as well yeah the um, racetam family were incredibly interesting i remember looking these up whilst i was studying um mm. in terms of the they were originally used i think they used in russia primarily but um they're used for or they've certainly been been tested for alzheimer's models in animals and also mm. some some human trials as well with mm -hmm. pretty good efficacy mm. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, certainly in terms of memory and concentration yeah it's a very very good um drug i mean i a lot of speakers surgeons people i know actually like paracetam and you mm -hmm. can actually get pharmaceutical grade one of that um there's one i like from america that's called ultra racetam that's a stack of different racetams together i find that works beautifully um so yeah um yeah and i'll stack various other things as well there's natural ones there's mindscopic uh, which is a brand actually i invited to exhibit at the summit mindscopic are more natural uh nootropics they do uh, 5-htp one which is obviously good for boosting serotonin naturally and they do one with alpha GPC, which is a form of choline, the most bioavailable form of choline. They have some B12 in there and um, L-theanine and a few other bits. So, and some NADH as well, I think. So, you know, there's various, <laughs> various nootropics you can stack. So when I do it, I do it properly. And I generally yeah. take three or four of those together and then stick on my HAP-B um, HAP device as well and um, stick that on focus and then productivity goes through the roof next thing i know it's like six eight hours later and i've i've, <laughs> I've done a significant amount of work <laughs> well that is a that is definitely a targeted approach targeted approach i've definitely messed around with more the kind of top level entry level ones i should say mm. with like mm. l-tyrosine alpha gpc the, mm. a, a lot of the kind of choline um yep. l-carnitine uh, things like that mm, but mm. but nothing nothing too in depth phosphatidyl serine is something which i really like and that yeah, yeah. seems to modulate cortisol pretty well which is the reason why i, I got into it and also there's some mm. of the adaptogens mm. i've spoken about some of them on before like ro rhodiola rosea yeah yeah that's nice as well i mean that, the thing is with all of these all these supplements uh, and i'm you know proper supplements not medications they are fueling deficiencies in some way yes um yeah. so for instance alpha gpc choline you know it might be that you're not eating enough eggs for instance or you're you're deficient in choline um therefore supplementing with choline will fuel a deficiency and help the neurotransmitters fire as it should do um, and then if you want to turbocharge it using something like anaracetam will help your body use um, it at a greater rate quicker. So, yeah. you know, your fueling deficiencies, rhodiola has various other things as well, which can fuel deficiencies um, and whatnot. So that is why some things work for some people and not for others. But there are some like modafinil, which is a dirty drug in my opinion. But Dave Asprey really loved it for many years. Um, Why do you, you know, consider it a dirty drug? Because for people that don't know, it's, it's used for narcolepsy. 
Yeah, it's a, I, I think it's a dirty nootropic, personally. I'm not a fan. It makes me a bit jittery. Um, how I would imagine a line of cocaine to feel like. Um, <laughs> had I ever done them, done that when I was in my teens as a stupid idiot, but whatever. Um, not saying I have. And um, it just makes me feel a bit jittery and horrible, actually. Whereas um, um, something like aniracetam and phenylparacetam are much more natural-based. They're not completely natural, but they are. Um, much more natural um, so yeah uh, so I'm not I'm not a fan of modafinil for that reason it's a strong pharmaceutical yeah yeah no that makes perfect sense um, and just to clarify for the listeners like when we when we're using these uh, supplements what, like as you said Tim they are supplements we're using them for a specific purpose at a specific time at a specific dose you know we're not mm -hmm. just taking them in ridiculous quantities and i think yeah to, to do this as well like you said you are fueling deficiencies so people can can often use supplements um and not really be that read up on them and actually probably cause more harm than good which mm -hmm. i think is an important point to say as well yeah uh, yes it's a bloody awesome point i remember <laughs> working with uh, one of the most senior functional doctors that there are um in the uk actually very dear friend of mine and um she said to me like tell me your history when i first met her and um <laughs> ran through <coughs> all the gut cleanses and detoxes and things like that that i'd done <laughs> and uh you know i'd done about five or six different gut cleanses i'd done the hummer worm herbs for for killing the parasites and i'd done you know 30 day juice diet jason vale juice diet and all yeah. these things yeah, and yeah. various other various other things and she's like you might as well have just drunk detox uh, uh, obviously not telling me to drink it but she said you know with the amount of stuff that you put down your throat along with you know things like oregano oil uh, enteric coated oregano oil tablets for you know several months at a time i didn't know what i was doing i was just taking yeah. everything that is a strong like antimicrobial yeah. that would kill lots of stuff off yeah exactly it's just like you might as well have just basically bleached your gut um, so, you know, you've, you've done, <laughs> done damage, but at the same point, you've progressed so well that you, you know, you've ultimately helped yourself, but you could have done it a lot quicker had you have known what to do in a targeted fashion, you know, and when you can't quantify things, as it goes back to our point from earlier, when you can't quantify things and you're just doing things based on intuition and guesswork or who shouts the loudest about a specific cleanse, you're just guessing. Whereas when you've got the data, if I'd known then by two tests, here's your organic acids, here's your yeast levels, and here's the bacteria that you're missing. I would have just done the cleanses that I needed to do so using the right herbs or whatnot to kill off the bad bacteria and replace the specific bacteria. Now, a lot of these things weren't readily available then and definitely were you know, three to five times the price that they are nowadays because it was you know, nearly 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so it just shows how testing being targeted can help you win the race a lot quicker. Um, I think one other point is, is that um, there's a, why this is important is there's, I'm trying to remember if it's cycling or rowing. I think it was a cycling team mm -hmm. and there was a cycling team and they weren't performing as they wanted to, but they wanted to win. And so they each, uh, the, so their coach basically improved their saddle by 1%. They improved the, the pedals by 1%. They made sure that the brakes were completely dust free every day. You know, like all these things, all these little 1% here, there and everywhere. And it added up to them absolutely smashing targets because all these tiny little 1% everywhere um, added up together to be a significant win um, and it's the same when you're 
testing and optimizing in a targeted way in multiple places uh, that you can get these big wins quickly, opposed to I'm not sleeping, therefore have a sleeping tablet. Alternatively, yes. you know, why aren't you sleeping? What are we doing in the environment that isn't right? What's your stress levels like? What's your blue light like? You know, all these different things, opposed to just take this drug, which actually has an impact on the body in a negative way as well. So yeah, that's why test, testing, testing and not just using your intuition really does round well for these things because you can have negative effects um, and do yourself damage if you're not super smart about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you've just highlighted a key point when, you know, when in doubt, I think the best thing to do is, you know, save up and, and just speak to a practitioner about these things and use a targeted approach because the likelihood is you're going to solve the issue um, in in a much quicker and safer way rather than just going at it by yourself and like you said you did all these different things and i assume you were learning throughout this entire process and then came to this practitioner and she was like what have you done <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i mean i i could have saved myself five years and a right. lot of pain wow. and five years, while, okay. I, when, well, while i'm really happy with the journey and where i find myself today running the summit and yeah working on various projects with you know some of the biggest names that there are and i'm f so flattered and grateful for the journey you know there's been some dark days where i couldn't leave the house for days at the end um you know where i just couldn't think straight or you know couldn't get off the toilet because i was going 10 15 times a day or going p 30 to 50 times a day there's some dark days but looking back it really has built me to be something different to what i was beforehand which i'm very grateful for but if i could have shortened that by five years <laughs> i would be i'd be very happy so the smart the smart people do it strategically using what we have today but at the same token you know a lot of people don't realize that there's so much support out there and, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't people on Instagram sharing these little snippets every day that can, you know, just open your eyes to, it's not just the doctors that you should listen to, you should listen to a very variety of people. Um, oh, and there wasn't so much functional medicine out there. There wasn't people like Dr. Mark Hyman and Dave Asprey wasn't so prominent then. And, mm -hmm. You know, Dr. Chatterjee wasn't uh, talking about a lot of these things that are now coming mainstream as well. So it's people would need to know that there is support out there and that they can turn to a functional medicine practitioner to help them speed these things up. Whereas 10 years ago, I think it was nowhere near as accessible as it is now. Yeah, no, I entirely agree. And you just mentioned Dr. Chatterjee and he's, he's making huge waves, especially with his book, I think, what was it? The four pillar plan. And then he brought the one out about stress. So like the kind of stress, sleep, exercise, um, relationships and nutrition, I mean, mm. all those things are like that should be the pillars of health. And then everything else that, that we've been talking about today can just add on to that. And you can definitely biohack those as well, of mm. course. Mm. Um, but I think we just, just from a basic level, you know, people just not having the right pillar, for example, can dramatically mm. affect their well-being. <laughs> mm. Yeah, 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 totally. So like we've spoken about, you've had a lot of experience in this area and have had a lot of friends in this health space. But it seems to me that there is always roadblocks to success. People go through like yo-yo dieting or, you know, starting right, for example, within the new year, new year's resolution, always going to the gym and then falling off the wagon two weeks later. How have you kind of overcome these roadblocks and what are the common roadblocks to success that you've seen? Hmm. Um, 
thinking that you can do everything all in one go is one thing. I mean, I, one thing that strikes me as a commonality is that a lot of biohackers or people that are ill, the motivation is high. Therefore, they do whatever they have to do to fix themselves. So if they hear about five different supplements and five different things, they do it all at the same time and they have such an impact on each other. They try to do too much in one go. It, it's best to be really targeted. Like, for instance, when I do something, I do it properly. For instance, my binders. Um, I, I recently reading about the importance of binders, especially with what I'm working on at the moment. Um, so instead of just adding one binder in, which you know don't really have a negative effect on the body as long as you're hydrated properly, um, you know I take three or four at one time. But I don't work on brain fog. I don't work on binders for the gut and, and liver support, as well as this, 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 and this, because you just don't, you can't gauge where you're at. So I think, you know, and also then you don't go off and buy five supplements and two new devices and throw loads of different things out. You change one thing at a time. So if you want to optimize your sleep, you try blue blockers first and you get a week or two's worth of data. And then you try the supplement at a different time of day to see how it improves your health and so on and so forth. Opposed to just going, I'm going to do 10 different things. What strikes me is a story of one of my friends, actually. He had had gut issues for many years and he'd had lethargy and various other things going on. And he was trying four or five different things and he could never quite nail any of them. So I just told him to drop everything and just work on, you know, maybe focus on his gut, which is what he did. He went and saw a specialist about his gut and worked on his gut solely until that was done, ticked off onto the next thing. Um, so I think that's the biggest roadblock and issue that people have. The other thing is, is also finding good practitioners, functional practitioners that know what they're talking about, that actually know things like optimizing your mouth. And that's not just the obviously... Um, oral microbiome it's getting rid of cavitations or metal fillings and yeah um, and whatnot knowing a functional doctor that would actually recommend that because i find a lot of them just say oh yeah as long as you haven't got metal in the mouth that's fine you know but if you've got root canals um you know they don't necessarily think that's an issue well if it's a big issue in my opinion um so finding a practitioner that really knows the full spectrum of all of these things is 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 hard work especially when the medical the way that the medical system works is that doctors, if they speak out too loud about something that's not traditional, then they can lose their license. So they're always in fear of that. Um, whereas if you work with a functional nutritionist, for instance, they can recommend some things, but not necessarily the medical side of things. Um, so they've got their hands tied. So I think the roadblock is not having access to a lot of these good guys. And if you do, then, you know, you need to get two or three of them um, in a group so you can discuss it from all angles, all biases as discussed earlier. Absolutely wise words, I think. Something which I'd be interested in, because you've been on this journey for a long time now. If you could send a message to your past, what would present day Tim tell Tim from 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. uh... <laughs> um. <laughs> nature first nature first supplements and medicine second um you know paleo mindset how we evolved is gives us the best data for millennia because we survived to this point so understanding that and then working spending more time finding a good functional doctor um and investing in a functional doc medicine doctor um and the right support would save you a lot of money on supplements and um, a lot of time as well and help your earning potential <laughs> so it's a it's a wise cost perfect thank you for that 
Um, Tim asked, we're coming up on time, and I asked three questions to nearly everyone that comes on the show, with mm-hmm. the first being, how can healthcare be integrated with some of the modalities that we've spoken about today? Well, as my friend from Denmark says, be the CEO of your own health. Um, right. You know, if the CEO is responsible for the whole company and for its performance and how good the CEO is, is generally how well the company performs, you know, which is why companies stock value go up when they have a new CEO that's particularly good, for instance. Um, you have to be, take ownership of it opposed to just palming it off to someone else and expect someone else. You should have advisors like a CEO does or advisors like the president does. And you make your own choices, not just listen to one opinion. It's about minimizing risk and maximizing effect, uh, efficacy. And so being the own CEO of your health, depending on what you've got going on, is important. Work with a functional doctor, work with a functional nutritionist, research on biohackers and what's working, read alternative viewpoints from people like Dave Asprey and Dr. McCullough and things like that. And don't go, I don't agree. Or yes, I completely agree. Say, okay, how much, how relevant is this to me? And what can I learn from it? Be open to both sides of it. And, um, and I think if you are, if you take ownership for yourself, opposed to your doctor saying, I don't know, there's nothing I can do to help you. And then, you know, feeling lost and spiraling out of control, taking it and going, okay, here's the problem. What's the solution? And figuring it out is, is absolutely critical. So I think too many people rely on the standard GP and mm-hmm. therefore don't get helped and get stuck in the system, opposed to exploring and figuring a lot of this stuff out. And, um, and you know, we're connected to everyone on the planet now. We can just speak to anyone and everyone if you, if you work hard enough to do so. Um, and so therefore, everything is pretty much everything is fixable if you just have the right mindset. Right. Okay. Yeah. Powerful. I think just using the the wide variety of healthcare practices and modalities out there, like you've outlined, is absolutely. Hundred percent. Yeah. What has been the most impactful? I mean, this is probably going to be quite a hard question now I think about it. But what has been the most impactful health change that you've made in your life, and why? Mm. If you could pick one. Um. Well, I would say probably blue blocking glasses would be the number one biohack. Um, understanding the paleo mindset and mindset, not necessarily the diet, but you know, eating clean, um, low toxin food, grass fed organic meat, you know, that type of thing, getting grounding with your shoes off in the garden, um, making sure that you're getting enough natural light and instead of too much blue light so that you're obviously producing energy correctly. Um, eating for what you need and also the final thing would be um, optimizing your mouth that's get rid of any root canal treated teeth because they're just toxic in my opinion getting any metal fillings taken out and um, optimizing your oral microbiome because if you're trying to fix your gut without first optimizing your oral microbiome which has significantly more bacteria in it than than the gut then you know your gut's never going to be optimized properly so, you know, there's things like leaky gut opposed to leaky, uh, leaky gums and says leaky gut. Well, if your mouth is not right, then the gut's not going to be either. So, yeah, the paleo mindset, optimizing your mouth and um, incorporating nature. Well, I think you've just given the listeners three tips rather than the, the most impactful <laughs> change in your life. But um, I, I'll, I'll definitely accept that. Tim, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Um, but before you go, um, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects that you have coming up? 
Um, yeah, I'm most active on Instagram at Tim Biohacker, and I update every single day and with usually things that I've tried on myself or whatnot. Uh, so that's where I'm most active. I'm also, my company is Health Optimization Summit, which is obviously happening this September in London um, with people like Dr. McCullough, Dave Asprey, Vision from Mind Valley, Gerard Pollock, um, and all of these big names in the health space. Um, Huge names. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, at Health Optimization Summit on Instagram and Facebook and just about everywhere on the internet. And um, yeah. Awesome. Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure to have, have you on the show. It's definitely opened my eyes to a few things. You've given me a lot more to read about, whether that's a good thing or it's something which I'm going to find quite onerous is yet to be decided. But um, thank you very much for your time. I hugely appreciate it, mate. And uh, no hopefully we can do this again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or our website, and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support.